The views expressed in this interview are those of the individuals and do not reflect the official policy or position of the U.S. government, the Department of Defense, the U.S. Navy, or the Naval Postgraduate School. Welcome to the Trident Room, brewer of stout conversation, unfiltered and on tap. On today's episode, Trident Room host Jesus Moreno sits down with executive producer of the Trident Room podcast, Joe Novak. Um, so switching gears a little bit. Sure. Um, going back to your time as a physician in the emergency room, do you have a, a story that you remember about a patient reaching out to you after they received care from you or uh, <laughs> just an exciting time in uh, the ER? Or yeah, anything? sure. So, plenty of unhappy patients. <laughs> Those are, usually no. the, those are usually the more vocal ones. Yeah, and, and you know, that comes with the territory. You know, I, what I said earlier about being a good doctor, um, at least in my opinion, one of those, one of the aspects of being a good doctor is just not being the candy man. You, you can't just give out antibiotics and what have you. So one thing that just comes to mind quickly is, you know, a, a guy came in, he had a sore throat, he had a viral syndrome, you know, he was sick. And I think I gave him something, maybe some steroids, just to bring the swelling down to make him feel better. But it takes a little while for that to kick in. And and I discharge him because it was a virus. He was a young, healthy guy. Well, I discharge him evidently directly to the patient complaint uh, office because he went he went there and kind of made a complaint. But that happens, you know. Um, the uh, I mean, kind of another example along those lines was a little bit more serious. I, I had a, a patient with, uh, how did it work out? I, I think she was my patient and she had four or five kids with her in the ER and uh, she was there with her husband and I had to, um, based on what happened, I had to take, I had to assume kind of control of the children because there was a, a very serious issue going on. And, um, you know, I I spent about four hours documenting this case after I finished my shift, and within a couple of days there was a, uh, a a big complaint about me. But my documentation was thorough. I did the right thing. Do you have any uh, positive examples? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So and so, some positive examples. You know, a lot of times with uh, with pilots, so. An easy answer, you know, kind of going back to what I mentioned about being a good doc, it's, it's hard. It's time-consuming. It's much easier to say no, you know. It's much easier to just kind of be be the candy man or take a, get a, t- a thousand tests. It's harder to do the right thing a lot of times. Um, and, you know, coming to pilots, I've seen several pilots grounded or pulled from flying when they don't have to be. And so I've spent a lot of time getting pilots flying and keeping pilots flying. You know, they might have pathology that on the books, it's like, oh, you got you to gotta ground them. But if you look into it, under certain circumstances, you do your literature, you review, you make a case, you can keep these guys flying. And why the hell not? We, are, we have a huge pilot shortage. It's easy to say, nope, you can't fly anymore, right? Because now I'm good. Now I can't be blamed if something happens. It's much harder to say, no, this guy needs to keep flying. And this is why, X, Y, and Z. You present that case, you take it up as high as you need to, and keep that guy flying. They are national assets out there. We've spent millions of dollars getting them flying. We're in a huge pilot shortage. We've got to keep them flying. So several pilots who I kept flying or, or, you know, who were um, disqualified and I brought back, uh, they've, you know, 
I'm on the Christmas list or whatever. Um, one pilot, one not pilot, one patient, very interesting patient. I'll obscure some of the details, but a very young kid, um, less than nine years old, had a stroke uh, simply due to morbid obesity. That patient, that was in med school, so that wasn't an ER patient, but that was in med school. And I spent a lot of time with the kid and, and with the family and, you know, just kind of educating, um, talking about why it happened, um, you know, not blaming anyone, but, you know, saying this is how we can prevent it moving forward. This is how we can give this kid a good life. Um, that family was very thankful for the time I spent with them. And, and the kid, I mean, while he was on the wards with me, he had a BMI of, geez, 50 plus. Um, just on the wards for a couple of weeks, we brought it down to 45, which is a victory, you know. So that, that's one that kind of stands out. And then there's, there's ones that, um, yeah, this might be a little bit tough to talk about, but, you know, because I still kind of get choked up thinking about this, um, you know, doing CCAT uh, was the most rewarding part of my life. CCAT is critical care air transport team. That's a flying ICU in the back of a C-17 or a C-5 or whatever. That's where we're bringing guys who have literally been blown up a couple hours before from Afghanistan to Germany. You know, they are stabilized. They're not stable, but they're stabilized en route. Um, stay in Germany for a little while, and then we bring them to the States. Um, that, uh, those were some, some memorable patients because they're na our nation's heroes, right? Of course, yeah. They are, you know, they're getting horrific injuries, and to, to be a part of the team that, that saw to it uh, that they are brought back to America, to their country, safely, and with as little morbidity as possible, um, to be a part of that team was was worth, you know, you know every late night in med school, every sleepless uh, night, every you know exam and, and board certification I had to go through. Um, that was. Uh, I don't know that I'll ever do anything more rewarding than that. I mean, when I think of. Uh, physician in the military that is exactly where my mind goes to nice emergency medicare medicine for the people that need it the most those that went out there and put their lives on the line for us so i can't imagine a more rewarding experience honestly yeah and it's it's amazing i mean the stories of what america does for our heroes is incredible so we would have an entire c17 dedicated to in one case the, the 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 soldier was he was not going to make it he had maybe a day and we alerted a c-17 with a ccat crew and an ae crew to go down to pick this soldier up to bring him back to germany and we flew his family from america to germany just to say goodbye it's what this it, it was what was due to the soldier. I mean, he gave up his life for this this country, and we had just enough time to to allow his family to say goodbye. Which is the least he deserves. Absolutely, and uh, you know, there's there's lots of stories like that, and 
you know, <laughs> when I was, that those were tough, you know, um, those were tough missions. And, you know, a couple times, sometimes on missions going from Germany to the States, we had family that were accompanying them as well. Actually, almost always, because at that point, we'd be able to bring family over. And that was always, that was always wonderful that, that the family could be there and, and accompany them. But it was, it was always very, I mean, it was very difficult. The, 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 the family members, the, the wives, the moms are looking at their, their loved one in, uh, in a very difficult situation. Um, but, but it's the right thing. I think we did the right thing as a nation, treating these heroes how they should be treated and doing absolutely everything we can, even when, even when there's, you know, a 5% chance that, that they can pull through. Uh, we did everything we could, and, and, and that's the right answer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, whatever the cost for stuff like that, it, it's worth it. Absolutely. Um, I, turning back the clock a little bit, do you have any uh, similar uh, stories that, that come to mind when you think about your time as a pilot, either fondly or not so fondly or <laughs> a mix of, mix in between? Oh, yeah. Flying was – it was awesome. It was always awesome. You know, I – some of the things that come to mind are kind of things that my, you know, eight-year-old self uh, kind of dreamed about and thought about. So towards the end of my flying, you know, I, I had extra gas. I knew I was going to med school. I knew it would be the last chance I could do certain things. So just, you know, putting it on on the deck at, you know, just below the mock and then putting it on his tail and going up like a like a rocket, that was kind of fun. You know, doing doing things like that was kind of fun. More, more seriously, or as a as a tactician, yeah, you know, scrambling for the president. So this was in after 9/11, and we were flying this Operation Noble Eagle. And in Christmas of either 2002 or 2003, we were down in in Waco, uh, uh, kind of where the president was was on Christmas, and we were on either five or 15 minute alert. And one time we got alerted, and it was awesome because when you get alerted. Yeah, the klaxons going off. You run to the jet. You 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 get it going. Airspace is cleared out for you, so you are ripping down the runway, full afterburner. You put it on his tail. You put it on his back. You point exactly right at the threat, and just like you trained, right? And you know, I remember this mission. There was this farmer that was he didn't read the note. Um, so he's heading right towards the president, and so we're heading right towards him. But they must have got through to him because we, we get into this thing called shooter eye, where I'm in the back and in my flight leads up front, and he's gonna ID the bad guy or the farmer, you know, or the whatever. The, the, yeah, I mean, the I guess threat. technically it would be like bogey, so unknown. So there's bogey, unknown, bandit. You know they're a bad guy in, in hostile. You know you're, they're a bad guy and you could shoot at them. So he's identifying the bogey. And uh, I am back there getting ready, you know, thinking the ROE's over in my head and ready to do the job. And then the farmer, he kind of turns off and he goes back home. So so then we got called off and we just, yeah, I don't, we went back to base or whatever. But that was a cool one. Um, you know, as a pilot, you, you think about those times where you almost screwed up and killed someone or killed yourself. Uh, two times come to, to mind, you know, in training in, in, the, in the Eagle down at Tyndall. One time I almost kind of blacked out. And so I, I went in the sim and I kind of saw what would have happened had I blacked out. You know, it, it happens sometimes. You, you, you pull just a little too many gene, you start getting gray, and then you, you ease off. And so in the sim, I, I 
put myself in that same scenario and saw what would have happened had I blacked out. And it, I would have had about 20 seconds to live, uh, maybe 15 seconds, and I would have been, you know, in the ocean at uh, Mach 1.5 or so. Um, so that kind of comes to mind. Um, yeah, so some close calls in in uh, with weather in Iceland. So, uh, my first time in combat, you know, when you arm hot, that's what you train for. Combat at that time was Operation Southern Watch, so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't crazy combat, but it was still technically combat, I guess. Um, yeah, and, you, you know, you have emergencies where you have to you have to think fast and fix things, and you have... You know, every training, every sortie you do is, is something new and something different. And, you know, there's lessons learned and there's memorable aspects from them. But, yeah, those are a couple there. You told me this story briefly before. Uh, I think the listeners would love to hear it as well. Like uh, your first day after being completely qualified as a as a pilot. Yeah, so <laughs> this is a funny story. I... Um, and it's where I got my name from. So where you get your name from as a fighter pilot is uh, you always tell a story about. It doesn't all have to be true, but there's some element has to be true. And for better or for worse, most of this is true. So, you know, to become a full-up fighter pilot in the Air Force, you, you, of course, first have to have a college degree. And then you get commissioned. And then you get selected for pilot training. Then you, you know, you do a little bit of kind of Cessna flying when you pass that, then you go to pilot training. You you start off in a slower jet, and you have to do a bunch of stuff. Then you go to a faster jet. You do a bunch of stuff. When If you've done that appropriately, then you get selected for fighters. Then you go to survival training. You go to centrifuge training. You go to um, the next phase, which is called introduction to fighter fundamentals. So you know, the basics of, of being a fighter pilot. And then after that, you go to your weapon system, F-16, F-15, A-10, whatever. You learn to fly that to a basic level. And then after that, you go, you know, some more training. And then you go to your unit. And then at your unit, you still you have to have a spool up as well. So you get, you know, a bunch of rides with the unit. And then your final ride, you fly with either your DO or your commander. So kind of the second in charge of the squadron or the first uh, or, the, or the commander of the squadron. All this takes several years, right? So I get to my final check ride in the F-15 at, at my unit that I'm going to be flying with. And I fly with my commander and it goes good. And, you know, afterwards, it's a big day in, in, in a pilot's life. So you, you celebrate a little bit with the squadron, you know, at the squadron and... So it went well. I'm excited. Now I am mission qualified. I am MR, mission ready. I'm ready to go to war. I, it was a late night. I, I go home. Next morning, I wake up to my mother crying on the phone. And I'm like, what is going on? And she asked me if I'm okay. And I'm like, yeah, mom, I'm fine. Um, maybe a little hungover, but fine. She's like, do you know what's going on? And I'm like, no, no, what's going on? Because, you know, I'm just woken up. She just woke me up. She said, turn on the TV. I turn on the TV, and just then, the second plane goes into uh, the World Trade Center tower. So I went mission ready on September 10th, 2001. September 11th, we all know what happens. And now this is real, right? Now I am a mission-ready pilot, ready to go to war. I mean, 
let's be honest, barely ready. As a as a young wingman, you're just barely safe. You should be able to employ. You should be able to do what needs to be done. But you're a young guy. You're 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 just barely ready. So I'm just barely ready to go to war. Some 10, 15 minutes after my mom called, squadron calls. They say, pack your bags, get into the squadron. And now it's really ready. Shortly after that, the Eagle guys, the C-model guys, we're in front of the wing commander. We're in the in the vault, and he's talking to us about what just happened and what we might have to do. And he's, he says, you know, I never thought I'd have to tell anyone this, but I may be asking you to shoot down an airliner today. And I'm sitting there as a, what am I, maybe 24, 25, thinking, what is going on? Obviously, the whole world, everyone is thinking, what's going on? This is a, 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 a traumatic day for everyone. But that um, that's how my first day as a mission-ready fighter pilot went. And then shortly after the wing commander talking uh, talked to us, I was out on the flight line prepping jets armed to the teeth. And... You know, I'd never seen actual live weapons on the jet yet. We've been trained on it, and I saw pictures of it, but I never saw a live one. And soon after that, we're sitting alert at the end of the runway, ready to take off at any moment. So it was a surreal day, to say the least. I'm sure that made it all feel really real. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, prior to that, had you, when you were going through ROTC and all your training, uh, were you thinking, I mean, obviously everyone knows that going to war is a possibility, but prior to that, was that part of your expectation of before becoming fully qualified? It's something I always thought about. It's something, you know, we talked about. So while I was in pilot training, Kosovo was going on, and I was at a NATO training base, kind of, NJEP, Euro-NATO Joint Jet Pilot Training, and so there were NATO colleagues there in pilot training with us. And so we were looking at CNN with, you know, Germans, Italians, Americans in in the uh, Kosovo war. So it was there, but it's not tangible until, you know, something like that happens. So yeah, it's it's just not real until, until it's real, I guess. Yeah. Um, so starting to wrap things up, um, where do you see yourself doing I mean, you can't stay in the Air Force forever, Joe. <laughs> do you have any plans on... Uh, How old do I look? <laughs> uh, that's a trick question. Yeah. <laughs> what do you still see yourself doing when you, uh, when you finally get out? Yeah, uh, good question. I, I mean, I, I love... Uh, the Air Force has been good to me. You know, it, the DOD, the Air Force is a meritocracy. And if you bust your ass you can get lucky with opportunity. Well, I guess you have to work hard and you have to have luck. And so I've I've had some luck um, and I've loved my time in. And you're right, uh, at some point I have to leave, unfortunately. But when I do, I'd like to continue serving in some way, shape or form. You know, I could see myself at like an FFRDC, a federally funded research and development center, something like MIT Lincoln Labs or Lawrence Livermore or something like that. I could see myself at NASA possibly working as a flight doc down there. Um, they do some fantastic work, uh, possibly DARPA or like uh, DIU or maybe the Defense Works set of organizations, something like that. If I were to go kind of fully civilian, maybe like SpaceX or Blue Origin would be pretty awesome. Uh, they're doing some really innovative stuff. But in the end, something that 
combines service to the country, engineering, operations, and medicine. That's my sweet spot. I'd love to, to be able to continue doing that kind of stuff. Awesome. Yeah. The, uh, can't imagine a better fit for you after all your experience in education than somewhere like SpaceX or NASA, honestly. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Um, so when you move on from uh, NPS, where do you see your core tasks being for your next duty station? Or what would you, if you could uh, pick your own core tasks, what would you, what would you have them be? Yeah, I, you know, as we talked about a little bit earlier, the role of the, the PhD is to give students or PhD candidates uh, the tools necessary to solve very difficult problems. So, you know, you have, let's say, breadth in these tools and how to look at problems and depth in a particular niche. What I'd love is if the Air Force uh, and the DOD gave me a problem that I'm suited to, to deal with and kind of let me loose. I, I'd love to have some resources to continue working with this MBSE stuff, to continue with working on the human and how to quantify the human, to continue working in this this field, uh, these fields of medicine, engineering, and operations. So, I mean, I guess, I, I guess I just would like a leash with enough rope, you know, uh, enough rope to hang myself, I suppose, but enough rope so that I can, I could kind of venture out a little bit and and try to to solve the problem using, you know, the resources that are out there and not be caged and not be tied down too much. That would be my that would be my dream job. Sounds like you have uh, quite the uh, adventure ahead of you at your next duty station. And uh, Yeah, hopefully. Uh, hope to give you just as much uh, rope as, as you need. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so starting to wrap up here. Uh, so what advice would you uh, give a younger uh, Joe Novak to help avoid some unnecessary problems along the way? Yeah, you know, sometimes in the ER when I felt overwhelmed, I would, you know, kind of have my own mantra. And, and that mantra was, you got this. You know, when my first shift out of residency was at a an 80-bed facility starting at uh, like midnight or maybe 11 at night, with just two residents. I was at a level one trauma center in inner city Cleveland and it was overwhelming. Um, and so I had to just keep telling myself, you got this, you got this. Or I, I think I said, I got this, I got this. Um, and so I think that would be good advice to my younger self as well. You know, you got this, you know, we, we put ourselves through a lot of, <laughs> a lot of stress. Most likely a lot of it is not necessary. And, you know, if we, if we kind of trusted in our training, trusted in ourselves, and I mean, as maybe hokey as this sound, but sounds, but trusted in the universe a little bit more, we might alleviate a lot of our own pain, you know? 
so you got this would be one bit of advice. And the other one is, I think I'd talk to my younger self just about attention and focus. So, you know, our life in our reality, as we know it, is where we put our focus, where we put our attention. So if I'm putting my attention and focus on the anxiety of the ER, then that's how I'm living large swaths of my life, you know. If I made more conscious choices about where I focus and how I focus and where I put my attention, I think that I would I would add a level of fidelity and clarity and, and mindfulness to my life that I that my younger self didn't have. I don't know if any of that makes sense, but for sure. Hopefully my younger self would know what I'm talking about. Uh, I completely <laughs> understand. Uh, people walk around every day with a lot of self-doubt and uh, I know usually with with experience you get confidence and uh, competence mm -hmm. and like you said uh, it, going back in time you would tell yourself you got this you got this it would alleviate a lot of that self-doubt yeah 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 and you know the last thing I would tell myself is just you know don't put off what you can't put off you know and by that I mean there are some things that almost should never be put off i.e. your family your health you know, a lot of us in the military, we're busting our butts all day. We probably unknowingly kind of put our health to the side, right? We're, we're not sleeping. We're not eating right because we got to get the mission done. And, of course, the mission has to get done. That's why we're here. Absolutely. But, you know, when you're younger, you could kind of afford it a little bit more. You could kind of, you could kind of get by on less sleep, on less food, on less everything. But for longevity's sake maybe that's not the best thing. So, you know, when you can, you know, eat right, sleep right, exercise, etc. So I'd probably give my younger self uh, that advice because, you know, tomorrow's not guaranteed. You know, like the Stoics say, memento mori, remember death, remember you will die. And when we're young and raging around in our 20s and 30s and, and, and doing the business for this nation, we could forget that. So I'd probably remind myself about that yeah and we forget that's probably when it pays off the most when you're young it's gonna show in your future that any telling the doctor about <laughs> what, what matters when you're young as far as your health goes uh so last question if you had to think of any group of people that you would like to think or that helped you along this way along your path to get to where you are um who would it be and why um yeah man so many um you know none of us can get to to where we are uh, without support without family without mentors and uh, you know certainly too many people to name but who i would name of course is my father you know he was a champion. You know, he escaped communist Czechoslovakia, came to America with nothing, met and was able to convince an amazing woman <laughs> to marry him. And my mother also escaped communist Czechoslovakia. They had nothing here. They, I should say they started from scratch, right? But this is America. The, 
if you put the work in, you can achieve, you can do it. They raised three kids, put three kids through college, had an incredible life, served their nation their whole time here, you know, while they were working, and um, gave me everything I needed to succeed. I had no excuse not to succeed. In other words, if I was a failure, it was all on me because they gave me everything I needed. And so I'm eternally grateful. And he, he was just an example of everything, you know, of a patriot, of a professional. He loved his country. He loved his work. He loved what he did. He loved his, his colleagues. He loved being in America. And, and this was his home. One time when I was younger, I, I asked him, uh, Slovakia, or excuse me, Czechoslovakia was playing America in the Olympics. And I'm like, you know, Dad, who do we root for? And he said, we're Americans. We root for America, you know. And I think that was the right answer. He loves Slovakia. I love Slovakia. But, but this is our country. And, and he gave America the respect it deserves. And so, you know, he gave me, he gave me that love of country and sense of duty that I'm so thankful for. So yeah, basically, mom and dad is <laughs> is uh, is who I uh, owe so much to. I think all of us here are on the same boat, and thank you for sharing that. That really powerful and really a, a amazing story of of the ideal success story of any immigrant coming from a, a war torn or an impoverished nation. That's yeah. that's the ideal. I Absolutely. Think. Yeah, he was a champion. They were champions. And, well, uh, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, man, thanks for having me. We covered everything from uh, flight school to emergency medicine to your potential next duty station assignments and and more. And uh, I couldn't thank you more for your time and for the for the opportunity to be able to to share this interview with you, and I, I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jesus. This was great. I, I, I appreciate your time as well. Thanks for joining us in the Trident Room. This episode was recorded July 26, 2021. For more information about today's guests and topics, please visit the show notes. The Trident Room has been brought to you by the Naval Postgraduate School Alumni Association and Foundation. For questions, comments, and suggestions, please email us at tridentroompodcasthost at nps.edu and find us online at nps.edu slash 